uh, about implementing uh, protocols or standards. Okay, thanks. Hello. Well, uh, yeah, thank you to the committee for accepting my proposal, and I am a long way from home, but uh, I don't feel too far from home. Uh, yes, uh, not yesterday, Sunday, I went down uh, in La Somme, and uh, I see my native wildlife, so, yeah. So I uh, work at Red Hat on free IPA, the identity management solution and uh, on dog tag x509 public key infrastructure uh, tomorrow morning there is a free ipa workshop uh, which my colleague florence and i are facilitating there are still places open for that workshop so if you would like to learn about free ipa that would be a great opportunity that's not what this uh, presentation is about so I take you on a bit of a journey uh, of implementing an open standard um, related to or used by identity management protocols. Uh, and what I've learned about the process of implementing standards and what I've learned about the process of writing standards through this process. So the standard is Jose. JavaScript object signing and encryption. And it comes from an IETF working group which was formed in 2011. And the bulk of the RFCs were published in 2015. The JOSE standards are used in several protocols, including OpenID Connect and uh, ACME, which is the Let's Encrypt protocol. So there was a presentation uh, about uh, mod MD. Uh, so that Apache module will be talking ACME to the Let's Encrypt servers. So why was I implementing Jose? Uh, actually, I wanted to write a Mozilla Persona identity provider, um, which was an identity uh, protocol being developed and deployed by Mozilla a few years ago. And although the Jose specifications were still in development, Persona was planning to use the Jose specifications. So as I implemented my identity provider, I wrote an implementation of the Jose draft document. And as the working group uh, did its thing and produced new revisions, of those documents, I was updating the implementation and from time to time engaging with the working group to tell them about my experiences implementing the protocol, um, issues I saw as well um, ab about what they had actually put into the standards. And uh, the end result is not perfect, but then again, no standard or protocol is perfect. So. Uh, some things where I provided feedback uh, that was taken on board uh, and others it was not. So I'm sorry, I did the best I could. Um, and of course there are many people with uh, differences of opinion or different motivations or use cases in an IETF working group or any other industry working group. So there will always be uh, some tension 
in developing open standards. So what is a standard? Uh, for the purposes of this talk, a standard is either an open standard for a data format, a protocol, an algorithm, uh, a behavior in a computer system, uh, which is intended for multiple interoperable implementations. Or it could be um, a non-public, uh, non-open standard, uh, so within an organization or within a closed group of organizations, but still with the intention that there would be multiple implementations um, such that they can exhibit the same behavior and work together. So the first question uh, you need to ask is, do you really need a new standard? And I'm sure many of you have seen this XKCD panel with the, uh, with the people saying, oh, there are too many standards. We need one that will unify them all and uh, you know, make them all obsolete. And the end result is that there's just another standard and uh, it just makes the whole situation more confusing for everyone. Um, and this is not always the case, but this panel comes from uh, a kernel of truth that often this is what occurs. So what was the rationale for the Jose Working Group? Well, from the actual uh, IETF charter for that working group, um, this is just a small excerpt, but they say, well, with the increased usage of JSON, uh, I'm summarizing, um, we need crypto that uses JSON as the wire format. Hmm. Okay, uh, interesting. And from the use cases RFC, which was the first published product of the working group, uh, along similar lines, they argue, um, because of the ubiquity of JSON support, many applications can process JSON objects, not necessarily the case for XML, ASN1, or other um, object or data formats. Uh, therefore, we need JSON-based cryptographic formats. Okay, so that was the rationale. Um, is it a good rationale or not? Um, I'll discuss that later. Uh, so there are some assumptions in, uh, in these documents um, that are not actually stated. So the first assumption is that ASN1 libraries don't exist. So they say, well, these languages don't have support for JSON in their standard libraries. Um, JSON is now common, therefore we need JSON. But you say, well, what about the formats that already exist? Um, yes, it's true. Most languages have an ASN1 library uh, already written for them and in often cases uh, battle-hardened uh, with hopefully most of the bugs and uh, vulnerabilities worked out. By the way, if you want to uh, know more about ASN1 and uh, potential pitfalls and vulnerabilities, there's a talk about that tomorrow morning at 11. Um, and so even if there is no ASN1 library already written, the assumption is, well, we're better off writing a new standard than writing a library for ASN1 and for its serializations. 
And then there's an assumption, well, we want to use JSON, but is JSON actually suitable? Is it appropriate for cryptography? And then there's an assumption that ASN1 is bad, and I'm sympathetic to that assumption, but it doesn't necessarily justify uh, devising a new standard. The irony is that uh, when they finally concluded the working group and published the specifications, if you want a complete implementation of the HOSE standards, you need support for ASN1, DER, X509 anyway, because there are fields uh, in the uh, HOSE object specifications or formats for carrying X509 data. So. These fields are optional, but if you want a complete implementation, you need to bring in support for ASN1 anyway. So the takeaway here is to write libraries, not standards. If there's already a standard that fits your use case, but you're missing the library support, please write the libraries um, and be informed by how other libraries uh, are implemented for other languages. Be informed about what are the pitfalls in uh, using or implementing particular formats, but at the end of the day, you're better off drawing from that existing body of work and experience and writing a library for an existing standard than simply adding more standards to the many standards that already exist. Furthermore, if you decide to write a new standard, you're going to have to write libraries for that standard anyway. Maybe you don't need to write an ASN1 parser, but you're still going to need to write library support. So. Write libraries, not standards. Okay, so if you're going to write a new standard, is JSON the right choice for your object format uh, or your wire format? Uh, undoubtedly, many of you have seen the uh, blog posts and articles. Falsehoods programmers believe about mm, names, time, uh, time zones, all these different topics. So here's some falsehoods programmers believe about JSON. JSON support is universal. Uh, an implication in the charter document and the use cases document is that JSON support is ubiquitous. Uh, it isn't. Or rather it is, but it's not in every language's standard library. But libraries already exist for JSON in everything, so in that sense it's ubiquitous, but in that sense so is ASN1. JSON is human readable. Yeah. Not really. Um, okay, this is a bit of a pathological example because of all the base 64 encoded stuff in it. Uh, but even if it is all just text that a human could hypothetically read, the JSON you're dealing with in the real world is normally not nicely formatted with um, new lines and indentation of the fields. How many of you, when you're reading JSON off the wire, end up just copying it and pasting it into a tidy tool so that you can make sense of it. Yeah, L lots of hands. So at that point, you cannot argue it's a human-readable format. And a binary object format is essentially the same in that regard. It's unambiguously specified. Um, no, it isn't. It doesn't tell you what to do with invalid code points uh, in strings. Um, the specification requires that any data that um, matches the grammar must be parsed. 
but then says that implementations can impose size limits on the data. So the specification, although it has been refined uh, over the years in revisions, still has some ambiguities. Uh, JSON objects are maps. Um, are they? No. The most recent RFC document describing JSON says that JSON objects should be unique, so it does not require them to be unique, and the grammar and the specification permit objects with duplicate keys. But even if it excluded them, and you say it is a map, what kind of map is it? Is it a hash map? Is it a set map? How should keys be enumerated? Uh, and how should duplicate keys be treated? Uh, should you take the first? Should you take the last? Should you reject the input or should you merge the values somehow? There isn't actually an answer to these questions. Um, it's about how you interpret the data and that leads to the next point, uh, which is the assumption that JSON will be treated the same by different parsers. Um, someone did some research uh, looking at something like 40 different JSON implementations across uh, a bunch of languages and found that no two implementations had the same behavior across a variety of different valid JSON inputs. Um, I'm, so in pointing this out, I'm not saying don't use JSON, but I am saying be aware of uh, where implementations may interpret the data differently. This is not just an interoperability consideration, uh, it is a security consideration. Um, this CVE was for a uh, CouchDB remote code execution vulnerability where there was some um, information about an authenticated user that was passed around that looked like this. Um, you could manipulate it so that the roles field appeared twice. The part of the system that enforced access control uh, would see the second value and it would see that this user, uh, there was no claim that they had uh, high privileges. But the part of the system that actually did the work on the user's behalf saw the first value and um, was tricked into believing that this user had admin uh, permissions and uh, this gave rise to a, an RCE vulnerability. Uh, JSON has some other problems. Representing numbers uh, is a little bit potentially uh, tricky or problematic um, because JSON only has uh, floating point um, numbers. Um, how to carry binary data uh, you typically have to encode it and there's no canonical serialization which is important for cryptography. So the object I showed you earlier, what, what, what actually is this base64 um, encoded data? Um, well in the payload field um, that's a JSON object. Um, actually so is the other one that starts with EY. Um, so you know, yo dog, how do you like JSON? So I'll put a JSON in your JSON. It's, it's the only way you have to deal with it. So what are the alternatives? You could use ASN1, um, you could use CBOR, Concise Binary Object Representation, uh, which is uh, quite a new standard. The data model is a lot simpler than ASN1, but richer than JSON. Um, both of these are tag length value uh, formats with some fields that 
uh, are optionally of indeterminate length. Um, you know, there are challenges in implementing this stuff correctly and safely as well, just like there is with JSON. Uh, but it does make representing binary data um, and implementing formats for cryptographic applications simpler. Um, you've also got uh, systems like protocol buffers and, and so on, um, but I wouldn't recommend them for open standards because it's um, much harder to define and publish a reusable um, specification about how a particular semantic object should um, be translated into the wire. Okay, so the takeaway here, don't automatically reach for JSON. Um, JSON may be a good choice for your use case, but even if you're going to use JSON, be aware of how different parsers can treat JSON differently um, and consider the interoperability and security implementations, uh, Im implications um, of those differences. Okay, so now we'll uh, go to some cryptography uh, specific aspects of Jose. Um, so it uses some um, not state-of-the-art cryptography. Uh, it's got PKCS version 1.5 uh, padding in the RSA uh, encryption implementation, which is vulnerable to a padding oracle attack. The elliptic curves supported are the Weierstrass curves, uh, which are exceedingly difficult to implement safely um, in that it's very difficult to implement constant time um, multiplication primitives on those curves incredibly difficult to get right. Um, and uh, if you don't have the constant time uh, point multiplication, uh, they're vulnerable to side channel attacks that can leak the private keys during signing or decryption operations. In the JSON web signature um, scheme, there is a none algorithm, which, which is a, there's no signing. It's just a way of uh, embedding an unsigned message in the JSON web signature format. But many implementations were vulnerable to downgrade attacks in that you could just erase the signature and replace the algorithm string with none. And many implementations would accept these objects um, and declare that they were cryptographically valid. The standards uh, have provisions to say that you know you must not do this. You must only accept the none algorithm if the user of your implementation has explicitly told you that that's okay. Uh, but the result of this being present in the specification um, and those extra rules around it was an extra implementation burden on library authors and a usage burden on library users. As a result, some implementations uh, didn't carefully follow the specification and this gave rise to vulnerabilities. Um, the AES key wrap algorithm uh, was used. It doesn't have any security proofs at all. Some of the other algorithms uh, used in the specifications uh, are also not state-of-the-art or are believed to be secure but don't necessarily have robust 
um, security proofs or analyses. With respect to elliptic curve cryptography, there was a supplementary RFC that added support for the um, ED25519 and ED448 twisted Edwards curves, um, which are much easier to implement safely. Um, so uh, you can use those curves uh, if the implementations you're using support it. The uh, algorithmic agility question uh, is one that comes up a lot. Is it better to have a protocol or a format that allows you to plug in different algorithms, or should you fix the set of algorithms that your format uses, uh, one for each kind of primitive, so one signing algorithm, one authenticated encryption algorithm, one key agreement algorithm, um, and if you need to change your algorithms later, then bump the version of the protocol. There are pros and cons to each. Uh, I'm sympathetic to the algorithmic agility cause because um, oftentimes uh, for a protocol intended for wide use, such as TLS, or in this case, Jose, uh, particular governments or businesses will require you to use particular algorithms. So the Russian government has the GOST algorithms. US requires NIST algorithms. Um, Algorithmic agility allows you to use different algorithms in those different cases without fundamentally changing the protocol. But as we have seen with TLS, one outwork of this approach is that you end up supporting insecure algorithms for a long time, uh, such as RC4, because Windows XP, um, it was the best algorithm supported by Windows XP even though it was known to be insecure, businesses, governments, organisations didn't want to drop support for Windows XP, so they continued using uh, known insecure algorithms. So common vulnerabilities in Jose implementations, uh, so the none downgrade attack I mentioned, invalid curve attacks uh, are common. This is uh, not a problem um, in the specification but uh, rather uh, an implementation problem in that um, points on elliptic curves for key agreements were not verified uh, to lie on the curve. Um, and the results of those key agreements uh, yield a tiny bit of information about the peer's private key. Do that enough times, use Chinese remainder, remainder theorem, uh, compute your peer's private key. Uh, and the algorithm substitution attack uh, was where some implementations could be tricked into using a public key as an HMAC key um, because they were holding all of these um, keys just as strings and how they were treated depended on what uh, came in the untrusted user data. So the user data coming in would say, oh, this is an HMAC object or it's a... Um, an RSA object, and so the attacker could take the public key, change the algorithm to HMAC, um, use the public key data as an HMAC, and then produce an object that the end implementation would accept. Um, so the takeaway here is don't cut corners with crypto. Um, if you're implementing uh, or designing a specification, please talk to actual cryptographers, get them to review it. Um, don't use old crypto just because someone over there says, oh, you know, my hardware security module 
only supports PKCS uh, version 1.5, so I, I need the insecure algorithms. Um, yeah, be very wary about doing that. Okay, so ambiguities in the specification. Uh, JSON Web Signature supports multiple signatures. Uh, it looks like this, so there's a payload field and there's a signatures field that can carry multiple signatures, each with its own header data uh, and signature, the, the actual signature algorithm output. It was recognised that the common use case was that there would be one signature. So in one of the drafts, they said, okay, well, we'll introduce the flattened serialization that takes the contents of that one signature and promotes those fields up into the top-level object. And everyone said, oh, yeah, okay, great idea. Well, no, uh, it's not. Um, it gives rise to implementation uh, issues in terms of greater complexity for parsing and processing these objects and to uh, incompatibilities. If one person writes a library that only supports the flattened serialization, another library might produce an object with the uh, general serialization, and then people raise tickets against your libraries to say, oh, you know, Google won't accept the object you made, um, even though it was perfectly valid. Because the implementation provided multiple ways to serialize a, an object with one signature and no guidance as to which should uh, be used or which must be used. So it produced more work for library authors, incompatibilities, and actually more work for downstream standards authors, because if they want to avoid these issues, they need to define a profile of the upstream standard. So ACME, for example, must say, okay, we're always gonna use the flattened serialization or the general serialization or whatever. Um, and in doing so, we'll limit the number of libraries that can be used uh, with their protocol. And the benefits, you know, save a few bytes, that's it. So use case optimizations belong in libraries, not in the standards and the protocols themselves. Let the library uh, implementers provide the ergonomic interfaces for the use cases that they care about. Um, but in the underlying protocol or data format, uh, you should have just one way to do things. In the Haskell Jose implementation that I work on uh, and maintain, how do we deal with this sort of ambiguity? Um, the first type here is a generic list data type. Um, the second is identity, which you can think of as a list with always exactly one object, um, whereas list above can have zero or more. Then we define the JWS data type um, as a JWS with a byte string, which is the payload, and then a T of signature. So T, uh, JWS is parameterized over T, and whereas you think of a generic list as a list of A for any A, so apples or oranges, here we're saying, well, we know what the A is gonna be, it's gonna be signatures, and we say we're parameterizing over the container. So we want a, a thing of signatures, and that thing can either be instantiated as list for a general JWS or as identity for the flattened JWS. And then we define the serialization and the parsing uh, separately for each of these types, um, although much of the implementation is shared. So 
you abstract over ambiguities and let the user of your library decide what they want the behavior to be or how they want the objects to look. And you provide a simple API for the common use cases or for the use cases that uh, matter the most to you. So the takeaway, use abstraction to deal with ambiguities in standards. Uh, writing safe APIs. Um, so a quick point, uh, in the security department, we want to guide our users um, to use the underlying protocol or format correctly and safely. Um, one thing when you're dealing with signed objects is that you don't want to provide access to the data to be verified until it has been verified, um, lest the user misuse that data. Uh, so this is the verification routine um, for a JWS. And we take in some validation settings, a decoder for the payload, um, a key store, and the JWS object. And we return the payload or possibly an error represented by this M context. Now, the nice thing about this is that the caller actually is never allowed access to the payload until after verification is completed. Um, the JWS data type does not expose its constructor, so you can't actually get at the data inside it other than through the functions provided. If you want to do this, uh, this sort of thing, it's necessary to use a statically typed language because in a dynamically typed language, even if your, uh, your fields are quote unquote private, they are not private. You know, if they're in there with the source code and all you need to do is type dot underscore payload, um, people will work that out and will misuse the library uh, to their peril. So benefits of static type systems are this sort of abstraction we saw a couple of slides ago, um, avoiding the type confusion attacks. So an algorithm substitution attack can be defeated just by regarding different types of keys as different actual types um, in your program. Readability and maintainability benefits and a number of advanced techniques for security. Um, these slides, I'll show you the link later if you want to follow up on them. So static type systems enable safe ergonomic APIs. Okay, so if you're going to write a new standard, um, you've taken into account all of my advice up to this point and you've determined, no, we really do need a new standard for this. What advice uh, can I give you? Well, as we saw, avoid ambiguity in special cases um, at all costs. Exclude esoteric use cases. Someone comes to your working group and says, hey, you know, I've got crazy scenario here, if it's going to add significant complexity or reduce the security um, of your standard, the protocol or the format you're implementing, um, and if it's not uh, a majority use case, if it is a fringe use case, it's okay to say to that party, thank you for your input, uh, we acknowledge your use case, but it's not the main use case, and for the greater good, we are going to exclude it. And that's okay. Uh, if you're doing something related to security or cryptography, get security people or cryptographers to review it. Um, I really wish that more of this had happened uh, during the Jose working group. Uh, and write multiple implementations. I can't stress enough how important it is that implementations of your standards 
be developed concurrently with the standard. If you don't do it, uh, you are very likely to run into ambiguities, interoperability problems, implementation difficulties, um, whereas if you are writing those implementations at the same time in different, different implementations, ideally different languages, different people, different companies, different use cases, uh, then you'll either find the problems and be able to fix them before you finalise the standard, um, or you'll be able to attain a high degree of confidence that you have actually avoided these sorts of issues. Uh, so that's the end of my talk, just recapping. Uh, write libraries, not standards. Uh, don't automatically reach for JSON, but consider carefully um, the, the drawbacks um, and how different implementations may treat the data. Don't cut corners with cryptography. Uh, special cases need to live in libraries, not in the underlying uh, protocols and standards. Abstraction is the way to deal with ambiguities in, in standards uh, if you're a library author. Statically typed languages will really help you do that abstraction and will help you avoid other kinds of issues um, and write uh, APIs that are safe to use. And writing implementations is really an essential part of developing an open standard. And that's the end. Any question? Yeah, I know it's late. Everyone just wants to go and get beer. I uh, wanted to, to ask, uh, when you talk about um, so the difficulties uh, implementing crypto, um, uh, how did you resolve this particular case? Was it uh, um, by changing the, the standard or was it purely uh, with uh, implementation details? Or so... Um, the, the issue of the choices of the algorithms and the fact that uh, some of the algorithms uh, implement, uh, not implemented, but um, defined for use with the standard uh, are not the best choices, uh, potentially insecure under some situations. Uh, you can't do much about that. That's what the standard looks like. That's what the people are going to implement. Uh, in terms of avoiding some kinds of attacks, uh, you need to understand um, the algorithms, look at other implementations, read about the history of some of these implementations and attacks against different algorithms to know what you need to do to avoid the problems. And uh, some classes of problems, like the algorithm sub substitution attacks, can be easily avoided just by using the right tools, using the right sorts of languages to implement your, um, to write your implementations. Does that answer your question? Yeah, so I guess it's more uh, in the, maybe the use cases for the, the standards that, um, that will resolve um, the cryptographic issue or the algorithm selection issue. Uh, I'm not sure. I, I was not uh, very actively involved in the working group other than reading the mailing list and occasionally sending feedback. Uh, the use cases document was finalised before I even knew about the standard. Uh, but I guess my main advice would be um, 
yeah, to, to exclude the esoteric use cases and exclude use cases that may result in um, additional com complexity uh, that will negatively affect the majority of people using it uh, and potential insecurity, like people who come and say, well, I need to use algorithm X that is old or superseded. Um, yeah, like uh, retro compatibility uh, uh, in the extreme uh, that uh, can uh, keep uh, algorithms uh, in prison for uh, too much time. <coughs> yeah. Mm. yeah. Uh, not sure. Any other questions? Um, do you think formal proof can be a way to improve the way of writing specifications? Because especially if uh, the specifications that you write consist of um, theorems or um, axioms to be demonstrated, then basically you could uh, ensure formally that the specification is complete and correct because it will answer problems. So what's your opinion about formal languages? Well, formal methods applied to languages and stuff like that. Yes, my opinion is very high. Um, Coq is not a, a practical general purpose programming language, but it is an exceedingly useful tool and important uh, for these safety critical use cases. Um, so Coq is a formal um, theorem proving language and there are other, others like um, Isabel uh, and so on. And of course there's model checking tools as well. I'll just point out um, this reference here, number four, fact a flexible constant time programming language. That's a link to a paper. Um, so uh, I'm going to carry on in, in a couple of weeks in Amsterdam where there'll be a presentation about that. Um, so I'm quite looking forward to learning more about that. So this is a, lang uh, a language that um, can ensure that the algorithms that you're writing are, are constant time, the, the functions you're writing. Um, yeah, I, I mean, with practical statically typed languages that are in production use today, you can actually go a long way for security. Um, so again, the, the other references here, um, one of them is about using um, Haskell. Um, it's, it's a Haskell library for static information flow control enforcement. And the final one, static access control using phantom types. So it's about um, you proving to the compiler um, that your program is correct with respect to access control rules. Um, so yeah, you can go deep down the rabbit hole uh, even with practical general purpose languages used in industry today. Um, but for true theorem proving languages like COC or um, model checkers as well, they're very important. Um, for crypto, crypto, cryptography applications uh, today. And they are widely used uh, for verification of implementations. Okay, I think we're well, out of okay, time. Okay, we, we'll go on to the next talk, so thanks again. <coughs>